0: In this week's episode of The Sixers Beat, we talk about Joel Embiid being voted as an All-Star Game starter. We talk about the recent wins against the Raptors and the Celtics, what life will be like without J.J. Reddick for the next couple of weeks, and of course, we talk about the ever-evolving jump shot of one Markel Fultz. This week's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek and her promo code BEAT for $20 off your first purchase with SeatGeek. All right, on to the show. Welcome everybody, this is Derek alongside Rich on the latest Sixers Beat, member of the CLNS Media Network. Real quick, as always, leave us a rating or review, particularly a five-star rating or review if you can. Helps us out quite a bit. You can also s- subscribe to the podcast over at SixersBeat.com. How you doing, Rich? We got, a, we got a lot to go over on this one.
1: Yeah, I don't think, I think I'm probably somewhere in between how you sound <laughs> and how Joel Embiid is doing right now, like a, a nice middle ground between those two. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I, I guess, what what are we at? Two wins since we since we last talked about the Sixers here?
0: You know, I don't really remember the last time we, we did one of these. Uh, oh, did we? Was, we? We didn't do was, one
1: last week, I guess, because you were in London, right?
0: It was before the London trip, and then I came back this week, and I've been a little under the weather. I'm not sure if you can tell by my voice. So it's been a little bit. I'm not exactly sure what the record is. I know there's at least the three games, the London game. That's probably the only other game. They're probably two and one since we, we last did one uh, because there's such a layoff with that London game. I don't think we missed any others. But, yeah, two and one. It's an okay week or okay week and a half.
1: Yeah, I mean, for us, too. Not, not too many games to cover, but still a lot of news going on. And I think, obviously, the big news is that the big is going to the All-Star game.
0: All right, so we do, want to, do we want to start this off glass half full or glass half empty?
1: Let's go glass half full.
0: All right, so that, that is obviously in relation to Joel Embiid, voted as an all-star starter in the quote-unquote Eastern Conference, and really what that means is he is one of the five players selected as a starter from the Eastern Conference. They will, of course, then have captains um, Steph Curry and LeBron James pick their own teams, so it doesn't, the, the the teams will get shuffled up quite a bit. But he has voted along with uh, Kyrie Irving, DeMar DeRozan, LeBron James, and Giannis as starters from the Eastern Conference. <laughs> you know, I guess we'll start off there. Do you agree with that selection? And of course, I know the answer to that. And are you surprised a little bit by that selection?
1: Um, you know, I, I didn't really follow the voting as much. Uh, it still kind of confuses me how they do it. I mean, I, I know they spell it out for you and they separate the fan, media, and player voting, um, and, and they weight those things. I, I will say, by the way, uh, the player voting, I've seen that recently this season. One of the Sixers, who shall remain unnamed, I have seen the process of uh, how that player voting works. Um, let's just say there isn't the most effort in the world being put into those selections. Uh it was essentially one of the Sixers, uh, you know, an employee basically telling them, "All right, so who do you think should start?" And uh, <laughs> the player was basically like, "Um, uh, is Paul George a forward in in the Western Conference? Uh, yeah, yeah, why not hit him?" <laughs> and I mean, it's it's unbelievable that that is like a is a major part of it. Um, yes. By the way, I, I would say that. Joel definitely deserves it. Uh, in terms of if you're going to have the three front court players, the only argument that I saw, you know, pop up on media ballots was Al Horford. And uh, before you call us biased, we were the only people on Sixers Twitter last year not on the "Who is Paul Millsap" train.
0: Right. That's the other podcast.
1: Yep. But last year was different. I mean, Millsap was the best player on a much better team than Embiid. And he had played legitimately double the minutes. So Horford is a damn good player that deserves to be on the All-Star team. He'll make it easily. But come on, let's not knock JoJo down when he's giving you 32 games and over 31 minutes per game of A-plus production. Um, Sometimes I, I fight back on Sixers Twitter or Eagles Twitter Sometimes, would you agree with me, they can lose a sense of who else in the league is doing what outside of Philly?
0: Oh, for sure. I had somebody, you know, when I listed out my starters over at The Athletic Philadelphia, theathletic.com slash Philly, uh, somebody got on me for not including Ben Simmons as a starter. And it's like if I was ever, and to be clear, neither of us here have an actual vote in the media ballot. There's a 100 media ballots that they give out. Uh, I think two people at The Athletic, uh, Jason Lloyd and somebody else, I'm blanking on the name right now, were one of those 100 people we were not. But I had somebody like, well, if 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 you had a real vote, you had to vote Simmons, right? That's not my job. My job is not to be blind to the rest of the league. My job is not to support the players on the roster. My job is to cover the players on the roster. And, yes, I do think there is very much a, a, a Philly-centric focus that uh, that I think you have to look past a little bit.
1: Yeah, and, and and that is to be expected. I mean, passionate about your teams, that's that's great. But but I will push back when I think, you know, I hear things like Doug Peterson not being voted NFL Coach of the Year is a joke. Uh, you know, when I when I hear stuff like that or the Paul Millsap thing last year, they, there often is another side of an argument on these things.
0: Too many things, by the way, are a joke. They're either a joke or they're unacceptable or they, there's too many things that people label as a joke or unacceptable. It, it, it kind of annoys me.
1: I blame Eskin. Uh, so
0: <laughs> I'm a, I have no problem blaming Eskin.
1: Uh, yeah, this guy's a joke. He's a joke. Yeah, it is. It is funny. Um, Joke and fraud are probably the two Philly buzzwords that can annoy me, which which can be offered by different sets of people, too. But but back to the Embiid and Horford thing, I just think penalizing JoJo and giving somebody like Steph Curry the nod when they played the same amount of minutes is just wrong. When the the gap between them and their competition, I mean, you know, the the Western Conference guard spots are there's a lot of competition for those couple spots at Embiid over Horford. I mean, I think it's roughly the same. So I am all for holding players accountable for minutes played. Last year's rookie of the year vote, Uh, I don't think it was a travesty or anything. I know you kind of disagree on that. But you certainly can't punish the guy for past years. Now, if you did want to say that limiting positions is dumb, I could certainly listen to Victor Oladipo as the fifth starter. I could hear that argument. But in terms of the front court, those are the rules, and JoJo definitely deserved it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think ultimately the voting one day in the future has to go to, like, one big man – 3 wings and a point guard. Like that to me is just much more how the game is played nowadays than 3 front court players and 2 guards. The like distinguishing between a shooting guard and a small forward just seems silly in 2018. I agree with you there.
1: And by but, the way, that the the only one who's going to still be confusing is Simmons when it comes to that.
0: <laughs> <right>.
1: <laughs> I agree with you though.
0: Um Yeah, I mean it, it to me I, I was a little bit surprised. I thought the media vote uh, to be honest, I kind of thought that Horford would win the media vote and maybe I was just tainted because I listened to the Bill Simmons Zach Lowe podcast and certainly Bill Simmons uh voting for Horford doesn't surprise me in the slightest but Zach Lowe agreeing with him I think maybe I I I kind of expected NBA Twitter to gravitate towards him a little bit more and I was surprised when the results came out I mean look part a lot of people go to the uh, Horford played 41 games and beat 31 Part of that is that the Celtics have simply played five, five more games. More games. I know, I know. Not his fault. And the other main argument is a winning team stuff. But like uh, I believe you pointed out on Twitter and I pointed out on my article, Sixers outscore opponents at the exact same rate with Embiid on the court that the Celtics do with Horford on the court. So why, you know, basically – the Celtics are winning more games because they don't fall off a cliff as much when Horford's on the bench. Why does he get credit for that? It just it doesn't make any sense to me. And the fact that the Sixers are so effective with Embiid on the court despite that obvious lack of depth says a lot about what Embiid does when he's on the court. To me it was it was it was a pretty easy pretty easy uh pretty easy decision. He clearly outpaced the rest of the competition. And the fact that Embiid's played in, you know, 31 out of 40 games up to that point, Whereas Horford played in like forty-one out of forty-five. That just there's no way I can look at that and say, well that that's the reason I'm gonna vote for Al Horford. Just like nobody's gonna look at, you know, Steph Curry only playing thirty one games and say he's not an all-star. Of course he's an all-star. It's, it would be absurd to say otherwise. To me, this was a real easy selection.
1: Yeah, and I think the the on off numbers were the main trump card to the the argument that Lowe and I think Kevin O'Connor had written. It it's just I mean, you know, obviously JoJo's counting numbers and his scoring and rebounding are way higher than Horford. But, you know, the main argument for Horford is, oh, well, you know, the Celtics have the best record in the East. He's contributing to winning. When Embiid plays, they're just as good as the Celtics are. So, I mean, that's the beauty of JoJo is that not only does he give you those great counting numbers, but you can't even come close to arguing that he doesn't contribute to winning um and for him you know i feel I feel really happy for him. It's a great story. I thought Brett Brown had i mean he he was playing the proud dad last night i I think his quote was it felt like someone gave one of your children a star and put it on his paper <laughs> um I thought that was great, and yeah i JoJo jo deserves it. He uh he went out and kicked Al Horford's ass last night, which I, I guess the other argument up to this point would have been, hey, Embiid played like crap against the Celtics in the first two meetings that he appeared in this season. Well, that one's gone too because he was freaking dominant last night.
0: Um, in, a, in a game that was unwatchable in almost every respect. Oh. he was the one reason why you could watch that game and, and take something good from it he was he was dominant in every regard
1: let's uh let's put a pin in that game because we're, we're gonna get to that in a minute because I, I got some thoughts about that game <laughs> uh let's talk about Simmons real quick uh you mentioned that uh it would be ridiculous to put him in as a starter agreed uh have you done any research in terms of should he be a bench guy and i'll say i've done a little bit today and looking around at the other media members who have offered their ballots already he does not appear on very many of them
0: yeah to be honest i haven't done a whole lot of research into filling out the rest of the the rest of the the lineup um it's you know what do they do that i think they do that in like 5 days like that comes up really really quickly that the coaches fill that out but I have not really done a whole lot of put a whole lot of thought into it what are your thoughts
1: well I mean just listening to Lowe's podcast didn't uh, didn't exactly give me a lot of hope for Ben making it because he had mentioned that he had pulled a bunch of coaches around the league and some some front office people and their general thought on him was well he's a rookie he's got to earn it which seems really lazy but You know, that's, I guess that's the way they might think. Um, I I have to dig into the numbers a little bit more, but from what I've seen, my guess is that he will not make it. And on the surface, I mean, it's not a great group of players he's up against, but they're like, unlike last year and this year with Embiid, there are some chinks in the armor for Ben, for sure. Um, you look at the on-off numbers when Embiid sits and Simmons played; they're not great. Uh, and you know, if if we're gonna go on and on about how JoJo affects winning and how great he is, I mean, it, it would be you know, it'd be dishonest to to just look over that with Simmons. The scoring isn't very efficient, obviously. The turnovers are high, and I mean, there, there's positives too. I mean, you know, rebounding, passing. Defense has been way better than I expected and is better than some of the players he's probably up against. But, you know, you, you know, you look down the, the players, I mean, Oladipo, no shot, definitely deserves it over Ben. I'd probably take Lowry over him, although maybe they should fight for that last spot. Uh, that, that's a great idea, actually. Um, Adam Silver should make that happen. Uh, and then you look at the wild cards and then there's, you know, there's that smoke and mirrors heat team. Do they deserve a spot? You know, uh, their bench has kind of been what, what has been driving them to their success. Detroit's the same way. I, I don't really feel too passionate about Tobias Harris or, uh, Andre Drummond. Um, you know, and then you look at John Wall who's missed some time. And, you know, I I think he's probably played better than Simmons when he's in there. So it's going to be tough. Uh, I I will say something, though. If your argument is let's just put the fun guys in the All-Star game, I imagine Simmons is probably going to be better. I I don't agree that's the way you should go about it because I don't think the All-Star game is fun at all. Uh, I think it's terrible. (laughs) But I I do think, like, hey, you know, I, I understand other people have a different viewpoint on that. Simmons would probably be able to edge out some of these guys in a tiebreaker, if that's the case.
0: Yeah, I am. All right, so let's go with the guys who are locks. You know, and they have seven spots for reserves. Oladipo, Lowry, Porzingis, Horford, like stone-cold locks. Locks. I consider Wall making it ahead of him pretty much a lock, even though he's missed that time, too. So there's five. So you're down to two spots with Bradley Beal, Kevin Love, Kemba Walker, Tobias Harris, Andre Drummond, Ben Simmons. Those are, just looking it up real quickly, those are kind of who I consider to be the main contenders. So two spots for, you know, Beal, Love, uh, Walker, Harris, and Drummond, and Simmons. I agree. I don't think it's necessarily the greatest chance in the world. Like I think ultimately Kevin Love, you know, I think a lot of people will look at him and say that defense is too much to overcome. And at the five spot, I think that could be true. But then again, I don't necessarily... No, if you penalize a guy for playing where he didn't necessarily ask to play anyway. I think he probably makes it on name recognition. Same thing with Beal, to be honest, and Walker. Like Those are three really established guys who Simmons is going to have to beat out, and I'm just not sure his stats are that overwhelming where he's going to do so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, especially if, if the wild card spots come down to it and it's Beal and Love are the two players kind of sitting there, it's going to be hard. For Ben, uh, I, you know, I, I think we should probably try and dig into this a little more over the next week and, and see if he, if the arguments are there for him to deserve it. I mean, the the fact, by the way, that Ben is even in the conversation as a rookie is great. Oh, for sure, you know, and um, you know, I think he's had a really good season. Obviously, we know what his strengths and weaknesses are; they're pretty pronounced. But uh, I, I don't think, you know, just looking at this, I. I don't think it would be a travesty if he didn't make it. And it's probably going to be pretty hard, in my opinion, just just guessing on what the coaches value. Coaches like vets. Um, Ben has gotten into some fights with some other players. Uh, I I would imagine, you know, even if it's just in the back of their minds, there might be an idea of let's make this kid earn it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could could see that. And like you said, a rookie not making an All-Star game isn't – isn't the world's greatest slight and I know that we will we in Philadelphia will make it out to be if and when that happens. But it is a it is a very rare occurrence that it happens. He will get better. He will be in a lot of these in the future. And it's just not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world.
1: Nope and and there will be a lot of years where I mean hopefully he's a lock to be a starter in this game. Um but but hey, you know, sometimes you know good good things come to people who wait. So I, I would just say, I think it might be a little bit hard for him. Let's, uh, let's go to those games, especially last night's game.
0: Well, it, before we do that, Rich, if, if you weren't a member of the media and you were looking to go to the All-Star <laughs> game, how would you go about getting those tickets?
1: Well, I, I think I'd go to uh, SeatGeek, right?
0: You're goddamn right. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. When I was in London, almost everyone I talked to who was looking to buy tickets for the Sixers vs. Celtics game did so using SeatGeek, an app focused on ease of use and which allowed them to keep the price of these highly sought-after tickets down as much as reasonably possible. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket-buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code BEAT today. That's promo code B E A T. For twenty dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase. That was impressive, by
1: the way. I mean, this well, is, I'm
0: dying. This is your full game right now. <laughs> yeah. It uh, my biggest issue right now. I've had my hand on the mute button pretty much the entire podcast, and every time I get a cough going, I just I hit the dump button. Uh, my biggest issue is that after talking for like three or four seconds, a cough comes up every time. So that was, if it sounded like I was rushing through that one, it's because I knew I had a cough coming.
1: Yeah, I, I, look, man, I, I think this is MJ in '97 or '98, <laughs> whenever that is.
0: We, uh, yeah, we, um, you know, we're we're podcasters. We live the tough life. All <laughs> right, recent recent games. Uh, obviously, the the loss against uh, against the Celtics that second half collapsed with the crooked rims, as JJ Reddick claimed, was frustrating. Uh, brought up all the worst that the Sixers have had this year, brought up every Brett Brown hater that is on Twitter. But since then, they've beaten the Raptors at home. And that was a a reasonably healthy Raptors team. Kyle Lowry was back for that one. And a Boston Celtics team on the road, which on the paper sounds great, until you realize they were without Kyle Lowry, who has a shoulder injury, which means presumably he can't shoot now for half a season. And that team without Kyle... er, not Kyle Lowry. Kyrie Irving is just like they're not able to compete offensively.
1: Yeah, and obviously the the injury gods gave the Sixers a break last night. But hey, you got to take advantage of that. And God, the amount of games that the injury gods have given to the Sixers' opponents over the past couple years—I mean, I you know they should be na- making no apologies. I thought it was uh, it was pretty funny how Brett Brown was trying to compare Kyrie's absence to Reddick's last night. And, man, like, I, I love J.J. Reddick. Uh, and we've talked all the time on this podcast about how his movement is so valuable for the Sixers offense. <laughs> uh, you'll take that trade ten times out of ten. Uh, you know, the Celtics, hey, I mean, God, the quality of shots they had. I'm looking at the stats right now. Forty percent from the field, seven of 29 from three. How many contested threes did they take last night? A lot. They just – and, I mean, they they turned the ball over 19 times. Of course, the Sixers found a way to top that with 22 turnovers. (laughs) I mean, it's – you know, this is who they are. Uh, It
0: was funny, though. you, You mentioned that watching that team take contested three after contested three and turn the ball over, you know, almost every trip down the court, it seemed like, for the first three quarters. And you thought, man, I've seen this before, haven't I? And even a coach as great as Brad Stevens cannot consistently generate good looks and consistently protect the ball when he has nobody who can create off the dribble in the half court. It's, it's a, it explains the Sixers' problems quite a bit, especially when they have to go to that bench and they don't have Sims or Embiid in the game. You need guys who can create shots. It's just something you can't really scheme around. And even Brad Stevens, who I think the world of, struggled with that last night.
1: Definitely. Uh, I will say, over these last two games... It seems like over the time when the Sixers were in London, and maybe the couple practices in between that London game and the Raptors game, the Sixers have made a defensive adjustment. I believe they're up to fourth now in defensive efficiency. First off, which is awesome. Uh, they're switching a shit ton now, man. It's uh, you know, and it. I think we've talked about this at the beginning of the year when you look at a what you generally look for. In a switch heavy roster would be somebody like Golden State, where they have all these long wing type athletes, similar size guys with versatility. I wrote about Jonah Bolden a little bit this week, the Sixers stash pick. You know, guys with length like that who can guard multiple positions. Ben Simmons is sort of like that. Covington. Unfortunately, the Sixers have guys on both ends of the spectrum. And they have they have short guards who are not particularly good defenders. And then they have Embiid on the other end, and switching between those guys can get, you know, that can get pretty dicey. They've said screw it over the past couple games, and I mean, last night all Boston had to shoot all these contested threes because all of their actions, the Sixers were just switching, and nobody was getting by any of the Sixers off the dribble. So I, I think that's something certainly to look at. Um, in terms of the defense. And then offensively, I mean, God, the 22 turnovers, we c- cannot understate that enough, how bad that looked. I mean, that was basically a a process-era game. That that one was way up there. But Embiid was awesome, and his passing was great. And I think you said something smart on Twitter when you basically said, um, it's games like this why I'm not worried about Embiid's turnover because you can just so clearly see he has the feel to be a really good passer.
0: And, I mean, to be clear, I'm not saying that because of his passing, really, because he doesn't turn the ball over all that much when he passes. What I'm saying there is that his recognition of double teams can be so advanced at times that I think, in, you know, eventually you can see a path where he gets really good at recognizing those double teams and keeps himself out of some of those high turnover situations.
1: Yeah, and I mean, he goes for, what, 26, 16, 6, two blocks, one steal against the NBA's best defense. And they just had nobody who could cover him. And it was like you said, when they doubled, he made them pay, whether that was hitting Sarch cutting or McConnell cutting or McConnell in the corner for a three. And when they single covered him, whether it was, you know, if it was Marcus Morris, he would just bully him. I think Terry Rozier got stuck on him once. That's pretty easy. Just a nice little foul line jumper right over him. And then he did a couple of those Dirk uh, one le- one, one-leggers over uh, over Horford. He was fantastic I, uh, last night.
0: I liked your tweet that the Sixers have one guy who can make a Dirk one-legged fade away, and it's not Ben Simmons.
1: Because yeah. he
0: tried one the other night and it did not. It wasn't even close. It, wasn't
1: close. it hit the top of the backboard. <laughs> uh, Yeah, and I, you know, Again, this game overall was pretty darn ugly. Rocco struggled. Bayless was bad. Uh, TLC was bad. Anderson wasn't good. Uh, you know, a lot of the Simmons wasn't great, if I didn't say him already. Uh, but the Sixers it's got the win, and uh, and Embiid looked really good.
0: It's tough sledding when the best uh, the best grade you can give in one of the wings on a team is Anderson wasn't good. And that's like the best mark you just gave in that in that section. It's a uh, wing depth, a little bit of an issue still, a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I mean, look, that's to be expected. I, I guess we can get into this a little bit. J.J. Redick out for at least a couple weeks here as the Sixers basically have to play a game every other night. It's going to be a test, man.
0: Yeah, this was the exact wrong time for him to go out of the lineup. He had that, you had know, that 10-day stretch or whatever where they had one game because of the London trip. You have the, um, the All-Star break coming up here in basically a month. And you've got JJ, who's going to be, uh, you know, they probably, I think they play like 10 games in like 19 days or something like that over the next next couple of weeks. And it is a, this is a, a really crucial stretch for this team. You know, they have a pretty favorable March and April coming up. They have to get to that point and still be in the playoff race. And JJ was going to be a big part of that. You know, I think coming into last night's game, um, Jared Bayless had been better as a starter than he was off the bench. I think he was making 40% of his threes as a starter. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe he does. Last night wasn't a good indication that there is, but maybe he gets into a better rhythm, a better flow when he's able to start. I don't know. You still then have, you know, another really poor defender in that starting lineup. Not that Reddick was great, but Bayless is a step back. So he better be making his threes because otherwise the Sixers don't exactly have a whole lot of options to go to.
1: Yep, and uh, they'll uh, they'll continue with the uh, the most important sporting event in Philadelphia this weekend, the Saturday night game against the Bucks. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, but you know it, it's funny just looking at that and the standings. God, how long has it been since there's been a second half game with actual playoff implications on both sides?
0: Yeah, I think I think at this point last year we had tricked ourselves into believing they could be. You know, they were probably four or five games back in the middle of January when they were making that run. You thought, eh, you know, who knows, maybe. Uh but this year it's uh it's a lot more real,
1: that's for sure. Yep. Um All right. I don't really have much else on the current uh current roster. McConnell played Those, really uh, good last night.
0: Uh playing really my favorite part of that game. After he made that corner three and he high-fived Shane Larkin. Like, who does that? That was great. I love that.
1: His, uh, I might need to ask him about, it's unbelievable how into the zone and how fiery he gets during a game. And for him, because remember the other day when he basically, I'm going to be honest, he overreacted to that DeRozan thing the other day. And, and, of course, the crowd completely got on his side and DeRozan got booed mercilessly the rest of the game. Uh, and then after the game, he just says, oh, "No, no, he's a nice guy. I, I don't, I don't really know what happened there." Uh, I, I, he just, God, he gets really into these games.
0: Yeah, yeah, but going back to the playoffs, just looking at it, Pistons have lost six of their last eight. The um, Knicks have lost seven of their last nine. The Hornets have pretty much fallen out of the playoff race and are looking to move Kemba Walker, reportedly. So really, you've got three teams in the Sixers, the Pistons, and the Knicks. For that one last spot, you have to like the Sixers' chances if they're able to navigate this couple of weeks here without J.J. Redick. And it is a shame, you know, Woj came out with that uh, report that they don't expect Redick to miss much time. And then, you know, within hours, the Sixers sent out a release saying that he would uh, be reevaluated in 10 to 14 days And as we know, in Sixers' lane, reevaluated does not mean he'll be back in ten to fourteen days. I really hope this isn't something that lingers much beyond that.
1: Yeah, Woj was too busy with the most important story of the NBA this year—the the uh, the Clippers or the Rockets breaking into the Clippers' locker (laughs) room. So uh, I'll forgive him on that one. All
0: right, Uh, I guess we have to go on to the topic of the topic of the month. I mean, this is—it's pretty much absurd where we are at. But Markel Fultz, we now have—you know, like I said, I don't remember when we did the last one of these. He was probably shooting a little bit. Like I—I I think we did it after he started shooting in—in in, in the public's eye. But we now have a, a lot more video of that. Some of which releasing the video gets gets fans pissed off. But what are you gonna do? Uh, we have a lot more comments from Brett Brown about that. Do you feel that? Does it feel like he is close to playing right now?
1: I mean, from everything they say, yes, but watching him, I'm not sure. Um, I, I will say I'm beating myself up a little bit. I thought I played it, listening back to the last podcast, thought I played it a little safe. Sort of beat around the bush, threw a little bit of cold water on the Fultz return. Uh, and I even had a few people reach out to me saying that what I was saying was bumming them out. But uh I, I guess perhaps in an effort not to rush to the hot take, I didn't properly convey the concerns I had with Markell's jump shot. And then these videos came out over the past week, and everyone was rightfully concerned. Uh, Yeah.
0: <laughs> it is interesting watching all the reaction to this. You will have some people really hyper focused on the short stuff, and they'll say, "Oh, is pull up jumpers fine? Okay, maybe a little bit. Like the ten to twelve. Like I think people are lumping mid range into one bucket. I think he, here's what I think so far. I think his ten to twelve foot jumper in that range has looked mostly okay. Some, you know, some in there that are inconsistent look bad. Uh, those those two videos that." They took, while he was over in London, the turnarounds, they did not look good. But by and large, I think his 10- to 12-footer has looked good. I think his three-pointer has been a train wreck. And I think his longer mid-range shots, the ones in the 17- the 18-foot range, have trended more towards a three-point shot than the short-range jumpers. So I think when you say his pull-up jumper has looked good, I think you have to kind of differentiate the short pull-up and the long pull-up. But I think what's been interesting is watching a lot of people explain why his jumper looks bad. You know, I think the most common explanation has been that he doesn't have the muscle strength in his shoulder right now to shoot from distance. Guys, that's not it. Just trust me on that. That's not. They would not have him out there forming bad muscle memory if he physically was incapable of making that shot. This would not be going on. So I think what you're seeing now, you know, when you rebuild a jump shot, and let's be honest, right now, that's what, what's what they're doing. They're rebuilding his jump shot. You start from real close. You know, remember New Orleans back in the day when they one-handed three-foot shots. You slowly move your way out from there. And I think what you're seeing right now is right now they've probably focused a lot more on the 10 to 12 foots on the free throws than they have on the three-point shots. And that's why you haven't seen that muscle memory really formed back when he takes those three-point shots after practice. My, my second favorite explanation, by the way, was, well, these, these shots came at the end of a grueling practice. You can't take anything away from them. <laughs> okay, let me just say, I've been covering this team now, full, full season credentials for four years, a couple years be, before that, in partial season credentials. I have never seen a jump shot break down because they're tired from a practice. Not to that degree. He is not, there's not a hitch in his jump shot. He's not holding it out in front of his body because he's physically tired. That's not, that's not realistic.
1: No, and I mean after practice these guys work hard on their jumpers, but if they need a break, they can take one. <laughs> it's not it's not like the coaches are cracking the whip on them. I mean, a lot of them aren't even shooting after practice. Um I I just think watching the different reactions to a couple of free throws. Hey, those look pretty good. I mean, god, just think about that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> now,
0: to be fair, when you compare to what he was doing in 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 um October, They do look legitimately better. They're not perfect, but they look better, and I do get being a little bit encouraged by that. But when you talk about, like, this is the number one pick in the draft who was drafted because he could shoot, what can you expect from him this year? There's still a lot of work to be done.
1: Yeah, and and you said it exactly right. But, you know, God, when you think back when they traded for the guy, I mean, God, remember what we were saying? effortless scorer can stop on a dime and make contested jumpers against anyone smooth as all get out. And now what people are getting excited about is, Hey, those free throws didn't look (laughs) half bad, even though I'm not sure he was jumping completely. Um, And I'm not saying they're wrong to either. Uh, So, so here is something we've been talking about mostly in private. Is there actually a benefit of bringing him into game action? Brett said a few days ago that he can affect the game without his shot. And I'm pretty skeptical about that. Well, well, I do think he'll be able to affect it, but just not in a positive way. But my point has nothing to do with this year. Because look, like the concern is getting Markell right. As frustrating as this whole thing is, and my God, it's the most frustrating thing I've ever covered. We're still pretty familiar with the redshirt year around here. I mean, shit, we're we're familiar with multiple redshirt years around here. And with those guys who have previously taken a couple years off, I'm thinking Mr. Embiid, Simmons, and Sarch out on the court, and they're balling right now. This one isn't as frustrating. I mean, Markell's 19 years old. If they can get him right, missing this season isn't a big deal at all in the long run. He still has the potential to play a career's worth of damn good basketball. But with a shot that's still broken and or maddening, maddeningly inconsistent, wouldn't playing games, it kind of feels like a borderline waste of time to me. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, man. The muscle memory that it's going to take to get that shot back on track is something that, from what I can tell, is going to need isolation. The old, Del Curry remade Steph's shot in high school, but Steph wasn't allowed to shoot outside of the paint for freaking months. And playing in games doesn't help with those matters. So, I mean, like, look, I don't want to pretend like I have all the answers, but the idea of Markel playing in games while his shot is not back to 100%, I'm a little bit skeptical about that course of action.
0: Yeah, and I, I think you brought up an interesting point, which I'll sidetrack for a second, This isn't something that I enjoy covering either. Like, this has been the most frustrating thing, probably, that we have had. Like, it's just there's nothing I don't enjoy. You know, people got on me a little bit. You know, why are you posting? This guy over here is posting good video of him driving to the hoop. Why are you posting his jump shots, his bad jump shots, instead? Well, because the bad jump shots are what matter right now. Like, the coach is out there saying he will return to the lineup when he can shoot and when the coach says that i'm going to track how well he can shoot i know what he can do i know what he can do off the dribble i know his body control and his touch around the rim i know all that this isn't a scouting report right now it's covering the news and right now the news is that he can't shoot past 10 or 12 feet so it's not that i want to take the kid when he's down it's that it's my job to cover the team and to cover the news around the team. And right now that three point shot is news.
1: And wait, by the way, the only time I've ever agreed with Reggie Miller in my life is last night when they showed a video of him driving to the basket in warm ups, and he essentially said, This does nothing for me. Right. It's the only thing it's I've ever agreed with him. It's ever.
0: It's the only good thing he said last night. I can't I can't stand that man. But going back to whether or not he should play. You know, I guess if you can convince me, my my biggest fear is that when you're in a a game situation, you're going to revert to what is natural. And right now, Markell's jump shot just doesn't look natural. Like, it's different every time he takes, there's no flow, there's no rhythm to it. And do I think he can competently pull that off in games? No, right now I don't. But I guess if you're telling me he can get back to a little bit of a natural rhythm from 15 feet... Apologies, like I said, I'm trying to mute as many of these out as I can. But if you're telling me you can get back into a competent rhythm and consistency from 15 feet, 17 feet, and you just tell him, "Look, just don't don't shoot threes in games because you're you're probably going to do so with poor form anyway." All right, then I guess I could I, I could see getting him playing time and getting as many shots up in between games as humanly possible. But if he's going to go out there and you know, some of these, like I said, I think the turnarounds in London really stick out in my mind. But if he's at a point where his shot is still very inconsistent, asking him to play through that in game situations, I'm a little skeptical of too. And I think ultimately, like I said, I don't think they're going to wait until he's consistent from three-point range to put him back out there. And as long as he's consistent from mid-range, I guess I'm okay with that. But I don't know. I'm going to need to see more before I I can really have a determination how close he is to being at that point.
1: And I mean, maybe there's a mental aspect that they think playing in games will be beneficial for him. Now, I would also bring up the point that maybe it won't, it'll be the opposite. Maybe the crowd will get all over him if he's bad. And that's
0: honestly my biggest concern right now. Especially you, you referenced when we had this conversation in, uh, in person. And that was right when he we really saw him take three-point shots for the first time, and he didn't look even remotely competent doing so. And if he's going to go out there and put up those shots and be subjected to that level of scrutiny, you know, I'm not sure that's necessarily good for the psyche of the player. And I think that would be tough to play through. But like I said, if they're just going to take him and say, look, stick 15 feet and in, it's not optimal, but I don't know. But I, I think the psyche of having to live through, because that's going to be the most scrutinized jump shot in the league when he comes back that to me is is one of my bigger concerns.
1: Yeah, and and I got to be honest with you. E- even if he can get a little more consistent and the 15 footers look okay, th- there's still going to be plenty for people to pick apart. And and that's uh, that that's got to be part of this decision too. Uh so I I will just say like from my perspective I would shut him down now. I would you know, do what you got to do. Make up an injury or whatever and make us look like idiots, even though I won't really agree with you. Uh, but but to just treat this offseason, like, treat this like he actually does have an injury. Because, let's be real, that jump shot is broken right now. And take the necessary time to get that thing back on track so by next September he is close to the version of the Markel Fultz we knew. That would be sort of my general way that i would think about going about it but again this is an unprecedented situation i don't want to pretend like i have all the answers on this uh but but i will certainly be plenty skeptical if they throw him in a game here pretty soon
0: yeah i mean pretty soon i definitely think he's still a little ways away and truthfully i don't know how long it would take to get that like i said that 15 17 foot jumper to where it's natural like i i just don't know like i said 10 to 12 foot, it looks like there might be some slope there. I don't know how long it would be reasonable to expect it to take to move that out to 15 to 17 feet. I have no real gauge on that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the, the most interesting aspect of this will be if he comes back, gets thrown into a game, has a couple of really bad shots that he throws up. He really gets dissected from the media, both locally and nationally. And... If it gets into his head to the point where then he is unwilling to shoot like he was back in October, then what do you do? You know, Can you take him out and say the shoulder is still bothering him? There's something that was reaggravated. aggravated I, I don't know how you handle that. I just hope when they... Th- and I, I don't think they're going to keep him out all year. I do think they're going to try to get him back. I just hope when they do that, he's actually ready. And they're not just rushing him back because they don't know how to keep him out any longer it's it's i think i don't know i truthfully i i do not know the right answer to anything right now
1: yeah i, I certainly don't want to see guy who's unwilling to take a 10-footer that does nothing for either the team well it actually does something it hurts the team and it does nothing for his development so
0: no for sure we'll see sure. uh let's see is there anything else on our agenda? I think that's I think that's pretty much uh what we wanted <coughs> excuse me. I think that's pretty much uh pretty much what we wanted to get through today.
1: You got a birds pick? <laughs>
0: um I'm not the biggest Nick Foles believer. Fair enough. And I think going up against this defense, if Dougie P is able to put a significant amount of points on the boards, he deserves every bit of the coach of the year votes that he is probably going to get. You know, I think I am confident in the defensive line holding their ground and stopping the run and getting pressure on Keenum, But I think they're probably going to need a turnover or two that they can turn into points because I just I don't see very many points uh being put up by the offense.
1: Yeah. He own. uh he's going to have to you know, the old kitchen sink, man. He's going to have to think up some shit for this uh this defense, but uh yeah, I man. I'm I'm excited for it. And I'm excited yeah, I, for sixers bucks too.
0: Yeah, I'm um, I'm um, I think I have my expectations so low with the Eagles that I'm just hoping to be pleasantly surprised. But I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. It's one of the teams I'm still able to be a fan of. I don't cover them unlike you. You have to be a little more serious about it. But I would uh I would love to be wrong. I'm just not you know. Like I said, expectations low. They can only be meta surpassed. Cool. <laughs> um all right, well, thanks for hopping on, Rich. We will talk to you soon. And go, birds.
1: All right, see you, man. You've been listening to the Sixers beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.